every day. Millions of dollars are lost to a lack of IT oversight and inefficient infrastructure. At QEH2, we take your security seriously and can handle everything from a new business startup to a Fortune 500 looking to make a change. We are an IT company that puts your needs first. Call QEH2 today at 303-688-7531 or visit us online at www.qeh2.com. Mention the Ladies Chit Chat Club and receive a free security evaluation. 303-688-7531. QEH2. Business Intelligence. Hello, my friends. You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly, and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you and will be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me, mentoring me, and inspiring me on how grit and grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Grit and Grace. I have Arzu Zarafshan back with me. And if you haven't heard her first podcast, I strongly suggest you go and listen to it because she is absolutely amazing. She's former. She's a former corporate executive turned into entrepreneur who's now turned into a startup advisor and investor. She has such great information on how businesses at any level of growth and wherever they plan to take it, she can really help them determine what type of funding is available and how to do that. So Arzu, thank you for joining us again. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Taverly. It's always fun to talk to you. You know, you have such a great sort of overview on business and your experiences bring such a wide variety of knowledge to the table. So I, I, I get really excited when we get to talk business. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite subjects, actually. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is, is that you and I could talk about this all day, but we probably should take a break every once in a while and eat. You know, I just I did just have a bagel before we started <laughs> jammed it down. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's a good idea. Food is good. And Food coffee. Good. And oh yeah. Coffee is a must. It's a must. Um, yes. <laughs> well, so thanks just... again. I know that today we're gonna to be talking specifically about this new project that you've started, which is your startup fundraising academy. Correct. Yes. So um I'll share with you a story. This idea occurred to me in December, actually. And after I became a startup ad- advisor and an investor, I saw a lot more startup founders coming to me and asking for my advice about how to raise money or how to get money from my own firm. And I started noticing a distinct difference between the ones that are doing it, that we're doing it the right way and the ones that were totally messing it up. Mm. And I paid attention to uh, the ones that were doing the right way and tried to tease out what were the components that really made them successful in raising their funds. And the aha moment, the epiphany occurred to me on December 15th, actually, to be exact, that, hey, you know, I can I can offer this to all the startup founders and help them learn how to approach it the right way. You know, when you look at the stats, the odds are not in startup founders' favor. Um, only 2% of startup founders that ask for money get money. So 98 out of every 100 here, no, from particularly venture capital. Mm. And two here, yes. 
Um, my mission is make that two, turn that two into a four and a six and an eight and a 10. And hopefully at some point we'll, we'll get to 50%, which right. is more, yeah. Right, which we know these are statistics and odds, not just in the entrepreneurial space, but specifically for women. These are very, very difficult odds. But let's take it one step back because I want to talk about the term startup. Uh-huh. Because most people think of startup as a tech industry. And right. a startup doesn't mean that. It just means you're starting something from scratch. And you know, add any comments on how people can classify themselves as a startup versus I'm, I'm running a business. Yeah, yeah, very good. So um, just in general, a startup is something that an entrepreneur, a founder, a person starts, wants to grow into a big organization at some point. You require investment or you ask for investment from venture capitals when you know that you are going to sell this startup or you are going to turn it into a public company. There are people that start a company and and they intend to run it forever and um, have a, a really good steady income from it. That may or may not really fit within the startup landscape. Okay, I see what you're saying. So I think of it, and these are all terms and sort of language that a lot of our listeners who might be new business owners or entrepreneurs somewhere in their journey that don't really understand the difference between starting a company that's planning to scale mm-hmm. versus starting a company where you want to remain a solopreneur or have a couple of contractors. I mean, these are kind of all tech, these are like, to me, these are like industry speak that a lot of people that are new in to owning and operating their own business don't really understand the difference between them. Yeah. So, and I, I even, you know, I, I, I at the beginning said often that I'm launching a startup because I knew I wanted to find a way to scale. I never wanted to, to just be me doing my service. But there's something like, I don't know, I heard an interesting stat that there's something like, you know, 18,000 registered female-owned businesses mm-hmm. in Denver alone. Sure. Right? Sure. And uh, the large majority of them are solopreneurs, and they wouldn't consider themselves a startup or a company that wants to scale. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, a good example is is um, since I've recently met the amazing Heidi Ganahl, and yeah. I know you had yeah. a podcast with her. Uh, so she's the founder of Camp Bow Wow, and yeah. she kind of stumbled into the startup world. She created Camp Bow Wow. She never intended, at, when she created it, she never intended it for it to scale. But before she knew it, it was a scalable business. And there are all of these Camp Bow Wow franchises across the United States. So that is more of a typical, if, if she had intended for it to be a startup, that would have been called a startup to start with, to, to begin with. Mm. Um, it became that and she had a very successful exit. So that's a, that's a very successful startup. Versus, let's say, I wanna open a coffee shop. And maybe I wanna have two or three of these coffee shops. Um, that's not necessarily a startup unless you're gonna expand it across the United States. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's. I'm really glad that you explained that because some of this terminology for newer people is kind of hard to understand. Mm-hmm. It you know you don't know where to classify yourself, and it is possible because a lot of the female-owned businesses that are solopreneurs they do a lot of direct service or contract work type structure, right? And in some instances that is scalable, mm-hmm. but they might not even have thought about how to do that, which is what you're here today to talk about if you wanted to scale and you wanted to take 
take your company to that next level, you need resources. You do. You do. You can do bootstrapping, and bootstrapping is when you raid your own funds and, uh, you know, max out your credit cards and cash out your retirement. Not that I'm recommending it, but you can bootstrap, and there are companies that have bootstrapped very successfully. GoPro is a publicly held company. They bootstrapped. They did not get venture capital support, Mm. at least to start with. Mm. Um, Spanx. You and I both know Spanx. Yeah, I think right. that's another company that's yeah. We, we we're women. We wear Spanx. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it is possible. It's just a lot harder to grow your company when you bootstrap because you have to be very uh, disciplined with cash. Mm-hmm. You also have less resources and connections. When you have an investor behind you, you have access to their network. Right, and their knowledge. And their knowledge, yeah. exactly. Okay, so before we go into that, I know you just touched on bootstrapping, and I, I think it's important to note that before, because there are various levels, right, of fundraising we're gonna talk about mm-hmm. today, and those are those are fundraising um, concepts in the stage that you wanna grow. Correct. But starting your business, there are a couple of options, right? People can bootstrap by you know, working with friends and family, just collecting what they've got, which Correct. lots of us start that way. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other options that um, businesses that are just getting started that need a little bit of funding to get rolling? Where else could they go? Mm-hmm. So obviously, the uh, government is always a really good source of funds. So small business administration, there are lots of funds available, lots of loans available through that organization. And, and if you can believe it, actually, there are investors within the SBA structure that can mm. invest in your company. Very interesting. I uh, didn't is, know that. Yes, yes. Okay. Go check it out. Uh, there are lots of resources both at the state level and federal level that people can take advantage of. Another very popular way to get funding for your startup, for your company, for your endeavor, whatever, is crowdfunding. Now, there right. are two types of crowdfunding. There is equity crowdfunding, and then there's product crowdfunding. Product crowdfunding is the stuff that we hear a lot um, about Kickstarter, Indiegogo. Um, GoFundMe is really not a not a product crowdfunding uh, platform, but Kickstarter and Indiegogo are the two biggest ones. Right. Um, equity crowdfunding is uh, a ra- rather new vehicle that came into the market in 2012. Uh, so. In 2012, there was a measure that was passed called JOBS Act, and JOBS okay. stands for Jumpstart Jobs. Jumpstart our um, business startup. I think it's Jobs Act. Okay, interesting. <laughs> and and Jobs Act allowed people to solicit funding for their startup for their company on a public platform. Before that, it was not legal to do so. And why is that? Because funders have to be registered, right? Yeah, so funders have to be what's called accredited. Mm. Um, And that means that they uh, fulfill certain net worth criteria. Um, And as a startup founder, I can't just go out there and say, hi, you know, gather around, gather around, please give me money. Um, That's still not okay. 
But if you go through an equity crowdfund platform, now you can do that. You can get around the person having to be accredited, you mean? Correct. Well, and, and, and solicit solicit it publicly. Okay. Yeah. And I, I want to cl- clarify, people ask often, like, why does an investor have to be accredited? And it's because they're taking some risk, right? Mm-hmm. Jumping in. And so being accredited just means that everything you're going to give to this startup is not going to rob your bank if it doesn't Correct. work, right? I Correct. mean, it's, it's the way of... It's a way of moderating the risk to the individual. Exactly. So nobody's going to go totally bankrupt from investing into a, a business venture. Correct. Yeah. This is a weak analogy, but I, I will draw it anyways. Um, remember in 2008, 2007, the whole financial meltdown yeah, right. and the um, mortgage Right, uh, crisis, crisis. Yeah. correct, that people were buying houses that they just couldn't afford. Mm. And until the regulations, Dodd-Frank regulations went into place, you know, that that was still uncontrolled. So it's similar to that, that, peop- that the government doesn't want people that don't have the means to withstand a an investment failure right to to do that right and within the equity crowdfunding platform you can't you know write a hundred thousand dollar check you know that all of that is guarded but you can invest as little as a hundred dollars you can invest as high as you know five thousand dollars it all depends you know but um, it's a way of guarding the, the risk uh, for just the, the average person. So what's the difference between what you just described and a regular crowdfunding campaign? Mm-hmm. Equity crowdfunding campaign is you're an investor. You actually, you will get a part of the company. You ah, mm-hmm. okay. So it's not just buying into something early and getting a, a product in return. You're actually leaving with a percentage. Of the company. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Those are the, so so we've talked about bootstrapping and, and you know, getting loans through or support through um, small business administration, both locally and federally, mm-hmm. and then the two different types of crowdfunding that's available. One that's the basic, what everybody thinks of in terms of crowdfunding in advance of launching a product or service, mm-hmm. and then equity crowdfunding, which results in the the people that are making investment into your company leaves with a percentage. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Now, one thing you have to know about equity crowdfunding, just similar to product crowdfunding, if you're going to raise a round, you're going to raise money on equity crowdfunding, you um, have to have a lot of marketing resources, mm. right? It's not going to just sit there and generate money in and of itself. Oh, so there are trolls that hang out on these crowdfunding sites and wait for good opportunities to put their money in. You actually have to take your message and and, and spread it? Absolutely. Okay. On an ongoing okay. basis, you have to put a very strong marketing campaign behind and ha- it. And have a good audience already. And have a good audience mm. already. Now, the platform itself will do a lot of marketing for you, right. but... Uh, you, you also have to put a lot of marketing. The other thing about equity crowdfunding, there's there's dozens of them out there, but at any given point of time, you can't advertise on more than one. So you can't put a campaign on WeFunder and um, another one is called Angel something. It's, it's not Angel Seed, but anyways, you, you have to yeah. be on one. And you can't raise more than a million dollars in the 12-month period. So if you are trying to raise $3 million, probably equity crowdfunding is not the best place to start. Okay, so businesses that are getting started, you know, we've just listed a few ways that they can get some some seed capital, let's call it. Seed capital or growth capital in the short term, small project space, right? Correct. Um, 
and and those are those are definitely options. And I I, I think that even that we could do full podcasts we on could. because people don't understand what crowdfunding really means overall, and what bootstrapping really means, and what kind of resources are available locally and, and federally. But let's talk about the bigger picture. Let's talk about the scalability or the possible scalability of your business and what you can help companies do in terms of navigating those options. Yeah, yeah. So when you get to a certain stage as a founder that you know that you have generated enough revenue to have proven what's called product market fit, Mm. meaning that, yes, there is an audience out there, they like your product, and if you take the same product to similar audiences, anywhere else, you're going to see an uplift in your revenue, but you need money to do that, right? That's generally from like pre-seed into seed. That's where you go. Um, There are a couple of um, different sources available for you. One is just angel investors. Angel investors are people that are investing their own money mm-hmm. and they are high net worth, so they do have the money. They're accredited investors um, and they, they write you a check to support your endeavor. And in 2018, 2017 or 2018, the average check from an angel investor was $36,000. Mm-hmm. So depending on how much you're raising, it could be substantial. Right. Um, another uh, ac- another form of access uh, would be to venture capitals, and venture capitals, uh, venture capitalists are professional investors that invest other people's money. So that's like the group pot. Correct. <laughs> I like to think of it as like angel investors are just individuals that are able to make an investment into your company, but um, venture capitalists are a group coming together where they want to take on bigger projects with bigger return. Uh, almost, okay. yes. Absolutely right I'm about close. the bigger, you're, you're close. <laughs> okay. Because there is kind of an in-between. Angels also can come together and put their money together, and that's called a syndicate. Okay. So, and they do that, that because that takes them a lot further as a group than just individually. Yes. Um, venture capitals, um, what they do is they first have to raise money themselves. Mm. So they go on this one to two year uh, project to create a fund. And the fund could be a $10 million fund, $5 million fund, depending on their um, reputation and their experience. They usually start small and then they grow it. So they start getting money from a bunch of other individuals, organizations, even institutions. Mm. They create this fund and they say, okay, our fund is going to invest in these kinds of industries, these kinds of founders, this stage of startup, and then they start basically investing in those startups. And do they do they usually have an end goal on return right up front? Yes, yeah. yes. So, an um, a venture capitalist wants to see at least, and this is the minimum, thirty five percent. Uh, compounded annual growth. So if they give you a million dollars that and, and in a three to five year horizon. Right. So if they give you a million dollars, they want to see with that uh, rate, they want to see about four and a half in five years. Okay. All right. Maybe you started a business in your basement or garage, but let's face it, that's lonely. And meeting clients in coffee shops gets old really fast. 
Enter RISE Collaborative Workspace. RISE was started by a woman just like you, who knows that you not only need a great space to meet clients, but also a great community for support and friendship. At RISE, they have offices or dedicated desk space to rent or drop-in memberships for those client meetings. Along with weekly learning and social events, RISE is the perfect workspace for women on the rise. Check out more about Rise at their fantastic website, riseworkspace.com, or stop by and check it out for yourself at the corner of Colorado Boulevard and 7th next to Trader Joe's. That's Rise Collaborative Workspace at riseworkspace.com. And tell them you heard about it from the Ladies Chit Chat Club. I mean, that seems pretty reasonable if those are your structures and your plans to grow. I mean, nobody's going to, you know, have a create a scale to grow and, you know, add $100,000 on Correct. a year when you're talking a million to $5 million in terms of, of revenue. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, I personally recommend, I know a lot of founders shy away from working with venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. They, they have a lot of concerns. I am one that say go work with a venture capitalist because Why? there's to me um, the advantages far outweigh the disadvantages. Uh, a venture capitalist is a very sophisticated investor. It can really help you with your strategy and your execution. They can offer resources. Um, they can offer. They can open up a lot of doors in terms of clients, and um, even open up doors in terms of uh, future investors. If you can get a good venture capitalist to be your investor, um, it's I, I tell people to go for it. It's like increasing your chance of success by working with people Correct. that have a reputation, knowledge, and expertise because they're bringing more than dollars to the table, as we said earlier. Yes, you know, a, a good a good funder is going to bring more than just their checkbook with them. They're going to bring their networks. That's um, correct. Yeah. And this is another stat: is for for the startups that get venture capital money versus they don't. Right, the startups that don't get venture capital money, they have a ninety percent chance of not making it. Mm. Versus the startups that do have a thirty percent chance of not. Is that because they stop asking? Uh, ask me in a different way. Um, is it is it because um, those that are seeking funding, if they were declined the first round, that they don't correct their issues? Which I know we're going to talk about soon. I'm excited to get into it. Um, there is it because they don't correct the issues of why they didn't get funded, and they don't continue down that path. They don't course correct. I mean, that could very well be. I I can't really comment on why they don't succeed, but what I can comment on is the ones that do work with venture capital have a lot higher chance of success than the ones that don't. Three times more chance of success than the ones that don't. Yeah, that's very significant, especially at that stage, because we're talking a very specific growth-driven company at this point. You know, we're, we're, we're not really at the startup stage anymore, what you're discussing. You're discussing advanced stages of a business's development and who they're working with at the time and how much of a difference it makes. It's almost like, it's almost like the difference between bringing in systems and mentors and guidance when you get to that Correct. stage, right? This Correct. is more than just the checkbook. Much more than the checkbook. Common misconception. I, I'm sure that there are a lot of business owners that look at their company and think, okay, I know I want to scale. I know I have a product or a service that can be replicated and sold or provided to the masses, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. that's really where you need to start. If you know Correct. that you have something that you can replicate mm-hmm. 
on a large scale, right? Then that is that that's where you create an option to scale your company. But you know you need resources to do that. You need resources to do that. Another thing that um, I, I want to talk about it because this is on top because I'm dealing with it right now. Yes. So my partner and I, and I, I'm going to put in a plug for my partner a little bit here. He um, he just had a very successful exit, um, he, emigrant into the United States, uh, started a company back in 2008 with nothing, and he um, just sold it for the second time. Um, for undisclosed amount of money, uh, but but a lot of money, let's yeah. put it this way. And he's very, very well known within the um, biotech industry, very well respected. And we are working with a startup that we are interested in investing. Um, what we bring to the table, what he brings to the table is so much more than that check. Um, this startup is in biotech and he can open up every single door in the pharmaceuticals, in the biotech industry for this tiny little startup that's raising a little money. And we keep telling them that you know you need to look at more than the check. You need to look at the check and him. Because if this guy gets on your books, right there, that's defining for your company. And many founders just forget to look at that. Yeah, this is a this is a topic that matters. I'm glad we're talking about this because it's really easy for people to not understand it. This is this kind of gets complicated into on the fundraising side. People don't necessarily understand that. But I think that what they forget is that when someone invests in your company, they're investing in you, which means they're investing in your success. Correct. So if you're successful, they're going to be successful because they're going to get the return that they want on that investment. So if everybody is successful, that's the goal. And so why wouldn't an investor want to support who they're investing success? I mean, this this just makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I feel like a lot of founders, they look at investors and venture capitalists as enemies and they're not mm. they're not they're just well, very because they think they're going to put parameters on and them. they will yeah and that's for your own good yeah <laughs> because they've done this a time or two yeah. yes they will put parameters they put they will you will lose some control uh, as a founder and that's also another big concern that founders have that if they work with an investor whether it's an angel or um, with um, venture capital they will lose some control and that varies how much control but they will lose some and they don't want that my advice to them is okay do you want to succeed or do you want to hold on to your little thing and have control over your little thing make that choice right and there's there's room for all of those different scenarios Correct. in the marketplace i mean you can have it any way you want you start your business this you do it because you want to do it your way but i mean control isn't necessarily even you know the only issue people give up a percentage of ownership right? yes they in will exchange for in investors to come in and Correct. support their growth yeah, what does that typically look like? Are there standards or is it across the board? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of both. <laughs> it all depends. Uh, generally speaking, in a pre-seed stage, um, the founder owns 100%. Right. Then, you know, I have actually data in my in my course about this. In the seed stage, the founder usually uh, gives away about 25%. And then... By the time they are pre-IPO, at that time the founder usually has only about 30%. Mm. But 
the pie kept growing, right? The 30% is of a really big pie versus the 25% of the seed stage is of a very small pie. Right. Um, but, but yes, the founders do lose um, ownership. And that's something that they need to be aware of is where they start will determine where they will end. Meaning, if you start at 20%, your share dilution continues to grow from 20%. You're not gonna go 20%, 10%, mm. you know, you, you, yeah, the more, the more, the more funds you, you need, the more percentage of your company you're giving, you're giving away. away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I get that. And I, I see that this is where a lot of people get stuck, right? Because to go from the concept, okay, like I've bootstrapped, I've, I've gotten loans, I've taken everything I can from people around me and I've gotten to where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. And, and you could, you could stay there. People can stay in that place right there they and can. just make a good living. But to take that next step, you really almost can't if you're planning to build something that has astronomical goals, um, which is a, a small percent of the population. Let's let's right. be real. I mean, you know, business owners that plan to build five million dollar companies plus are the smaller portion. Right. But you're not going to get there by yourself. It's 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 unless you are lucky enough to have a big trust fund behind you, right? Um, you 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 need a, additional resources to get to that next stage. And is that something you help businesses do? Yes. Yes, I I do work with them on what would be the best path of success. Um, and generally, I consult with a lot of startup founders on how to what how to go to that next step. Um, what where would they go find the money for that next step? Now. There are companies that have done that bootstrapped all the way. Like I said, GoPro is one as a great example. Yeah. It just doesn't happen very often. Yeah, it's rare. you know, it's 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 rare. Yeah, you know, I, I work you know with businesses and nonprofits. I do this partnership work in my and uh, with corporate cause agency. And I had somebody recently tell me, well, I just want to go out and work with companies like Tom's, right? Like the Tom Shoes because they do such good work in the community. And I'm like, you know what? They're like the one in a billion. You know, not not all companies are started that way. So that's exactly what you're talking about: bootstrapping from the beginning and ending up where GoPro is. You know, that's. <laughs> That's the that's the one in a billion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you do have, as a founder, if you do have big dreams, you know, work with big people. Yeah. Um, can you grow your dream into a giant reality all on your own? Yes, you can, but it's going to take you a lot longer. It's going to be a lot harder, and you will learn... Um, a lot more, in my view, when you work with big, big people who have done that, who've been there, who can guide you, who can connect you to the right people. Uh, there are challenges with that, so you have to establish a tough skin because you will hear a lot more no's than yeses. True, but you will learn from that. What did you say the percentage was of the amount of people that pitch for funding that actually get it? Two percent. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. So okay, and then of that two percent, twenty percent of them are women. So of every one hundred people that ask, one point six of them that get two of them get money. One point six of the two are men. Like less than one woman. That's like a half Half a woman. woman. Half a woman. (laughs) Less than half a woman. Yeah, less than half a woman. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's talk about the Startup Fundraise Academy that you have built and how you are positioning this type of training model Mm -hmm. to help 
founders get through those stages of pitfalls and mistakes and, and how to be successful? Great. Thank you for asking that question yeah. because I'm so excited about it. And I'm we are, too. The video is being edited as we speak. And so this, amazing. It's going to be great. Um, so Startup Fundraising Academy is a 10-module online curriculum course. Um, it starts from the basics about, you know, sources of fundraising, what are pluses and minuses of each. We talked a little bit about bootstrapping mm-hmm. and angel. It goes a lot more in, in depth with, with those, uh, with those uh, venues. And then it digs into to venture capital. There's, whole, there's one whole module that is dedicated to venture capital. Just to even understand what that means, Just right? Understand how they come together, how they fund. Because I, I know we're not going to go too deep into that today because it's way more complicated than we can cover in this sliver. But you have a full module on that. On venture capital. Excellent. Yes. Okay. And how to identify the right venture capital mm-hmm. for your startup. So this is a good example. Last week, uh, there was a founder, a founding team that came to me and they were asking you know, if, if my firm would be willing to invest in in their endeavor. And I look at it and I'm like, okay, this is in the wrong stage of development. We don't, we don't invest in the stage that you're at. You are the wrong industry for me um, in terms of just everything that we are not, you are. Uh, yet you're coming to me and asking for money. So they didn't do their research. None, zero. Okay. So I mean, for them it was, oh, yeah. here's a here's a person that I found. Okay, let's go talk to her. Maybe she'll give us money. Um, th- that's just a, a bad idea. So I help uh, with the startup fundraising academy. I help people identify who's the right investor for them, mm. and then I help them connect through this online training, connect with the right investors. What do you say to them when you actually connect with them? How do you connect with them and what's that first communication is like? And then how do you cultivate that communication so that it becomes a face-to-face meeting? And that face-to-face meeting is exceedingly important for the success of the startup. That's that's where you go and do a pitch and that's the whole right. creation of the pitch deck. Right. Okay, that makes that makes total sense to me because I I'm seeing it now. I mean, not only are you doing education for businesses that are looking for funding, but you also are an investor yourself. So, Correct. I mean, that kind of crosses over a little and it, it basically just gave an example of somebody that, you know, didn't do any research, which is I mean, there's I'm sure a common series of mistakes that founders make when they're going after funding. Let's hear what they are. What what are the most common mistakes? So I'll talk about the five common mistakes. Okay. And in my startup academy, there are, there are 10 more. Okay. So there you go. So we so make a lot of mistakes, basically, is what you're saying. Well, we <laughs> without more, knowing any better. Without knowing any better. Yeah. Without knowing any better. And we are all human beings. Yeah. And many founders are first-time founders. Right. So. Which is why you can help them do it better. Exactly. So the first, the number five mistake is what I call spray and pray. Mm-hmm. Spray and pray is when individuals go and ask for anyone who lends them an ear, ask for money from them. And without doing any research, just like this founder that I just talked about. Um, that's not, you're going to hear a lot more no's than yeses in that mm-hmm. event. Uh, so... What a founder needs to do is look at the investment firm and and five or six criteria to see whether it's a good match or not. What are those criteria? One is stage matching. So if you are in pre-seed or seed, but the investment firm that you're looking at mainly focuses on 
later rounds of investing, right. don't go there. Is that clear on um, investors' websites and information Absolutely. online? It's always clear where they focus their investments on. Yes. Okay. Yes. They're I very transparent about okay. that. Um, industry focus is another one. So, you know, it, another element that's very clear on investors' website, they say, we invest in B2B SaaS. We invest in health tech. We invest in energy. You know, they are very right. clear about that. So if you have a, I don't know, concept about women's product, don't take it to energy. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah, this is common sense. Correct. Yeah. It is common sense. Yeah. It's totally unavoidable. Yeah. If you look. I mean, avoidable, not unavoidable. Yes, if you look. If you look. You right. just have to look. Right. Another um, area that investors need to do the research, not investors, sorry, founders need to do the research on is geographical focus. Right. Um, many investors say, we invest in West Coast, East Coast, Mid-Atlantic, yeah. um, the Rockies, they're very, gotcha. very clear about that. So that's another thing that you need to look at. Uh, value behind the capital, we talked about that. So mm. let it not just be the check. Let it be the check and, and be very specific about the and. What is that? What do you need for your startup at that stage? And you have to be able to articulate that. So you you mean if, if a business knows that they're really strong in the, let's just go back to tech because it's an easy example, but they're really strong, their company is really strong in the coding and the developing, but they have very little experience in um, the marketing or you know the final sales or implementation stage, looking for investors that specialize in those areas as well, and how would they find that by looking at the investors' history on where they've supported organizations, or how would that be available to them? There is a tremendous amount of information okay. about each investment firm out there, and that's again also is in my Startup Academy, uh, Fundraising Academy. Um, you know, there, there are websites that just specialize in telling you what was the last investment that this this venture capitalist made anything about that company that they just made and then um, to their specialty areas I mean you kind so of it's all public it's all it's, it's all, all you can, public. I, I mean I think that people should just try you know go go take your industry correct you know take it and do a search yeah and look at what type of um, you know funders are out there for that specific area correct. and do it dive in a little and maybe get your feet wet and see what these options are because you're talking about all this information being public mm -hmm. and if you have never delved into that arena you got to get in it correct got to get in it and exactly yeah. exactly and allow yourself to be overwhelmed yeah allow yourself to feel like a fool yeah. and, and make mistakes, and, and this is just part of the learning. Right. Um, and then the last part is the fund port portfolio. So if the venture capitalist firm that you are targeting just invested in your competitor, they probably aren't gonna come and invest in you. That's just too much risk for them. Because oh, one 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 is going to succeed and one is not. So if you if you're investing in both, you're basically saying I want to support this industry, but one is going to make it, and one may not. Well, yeah, I mean, um, they they have placed their bets on your competitor, mm. and so 
if you go to them and say, well, place your bet on me also, it's just going to be a harder sell, right? They, they would rather go diversify from that whole space and go invest in something that's completely different. I see. I see. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and also the availability of the fund. Remember, they have to raise money. A lot of times they don't even have the money. Even though they're talking to you, they don't have the money. The fund is not there. They're still raising it. Oh, okay. So Absolutely. that's another thing to consider. Absolutely. And will uh, would a, a venture capitalist tell you that at the time sure. that this is a stage we're at in funding, and if you're looking for you know five to ten million dollars, we are twenty five percent of the way there. We will. Will they go out and secure it based upon your model? No. Okay. So it has nothing to do with you. It's their has own development. N- it's their own development. Okay. Yeah. And yes, they will tell you. Interesting. They will tell you, and it's good because you can keep a relationship with them for when they do close their fund, then you can approach them maybe for the later stages of fundraising. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. So don't spray and pray. Yeah. Go about it, target it, and in a thoughtful and deliberate way. Strategic. Be strategic Strategic. on who you work with. Yes. Strategery. Yes. Strategery, is that a word? We just made up a new word today. That's how we roll, strategery. (laughs) It's not a word. Um, mistake number four is not courting the investors, right? So, okay, Talverly, I have a question for you. Okay, yes, I'm ready. You and I just met. Okay. And I think you're great. Okay. Will you give me some money? No. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Who so are you? why would they? You? Exactly. Yeah. Why would we expect venture capitalists? to give money to founders they just met. Because you're talking about building a relationship. You know, you have to really connect and build a relationship with somebody first. Correct. And Correct. I know that you and I have had this conversation offline previously, but our venture capitalists and even angel investors, are they open to meeting with the average person? I mean, if I yeah. if I didn't know you and you were a fit for what I think I want to grow into, would I be able to find you online and just say, hey, Arzu, I don't know if I'm a fit for you, but I would love to you know, sit down and have coffee with you sometime and tell you about my business and where I plan to grow. Mm-hmm. Will most people be successful in getting those meetings? Not like that. Okay. Not like that. So let me, let me back up. Remember, uh, venture capitalists are investing other people's money and they're under pressure to invest that money because they sooner, the sooner they, they invest that money somewhere good, the sooner the returns will, will start happening, right? right? Um, angels, not necessarily, right? They're, they're not in the same rush right. as the venture capitalists. Venture capitalists generally respond to warm introductions. So you have to know someone that is connected to them, an other founder, a different founder that is working with them, a friend, whatever. But not everybody has that. So what do you do? You do what everybody else does, cold emails. But if your emails are thoughtful, and if they see that you have followed them on social media, that you are commenting on their blogs, you are, um, you're not just somebody that just showed up mm. um, before anything is, is sending you, hey, can you meet with me? If you spend a good month, month and a half just connecting with them digitally, just 
following their their blogs, their tweets, their their presence, online presence, and um, send an intro email saying, hey, you know, I'm Arzu. This is my startup. I just want to introduce myself. We're not fundraising right now. That's very important to to approach a venture capitalist before you raise, you, you open your round. Mm. Just before any of that happens, introduce yourself and then keep on um, nudging. So maybe another email in, in another month and then you ask for a phone introduction or a phone conversation and then you know the meeting will happen. Yeah, I like how you've worded that a lot because you are you are also talking about something we should all know in business, which is getting to create a warm lead. Yeah. You know, being authentic and genuine, not just, you know, it's it's like the jab jab cross as Gary Vee calls it. You don't just go in and just like, you know, straight up punch someone and ask them for what you want right off the bat. You have to get to know them. You have to let them know that you're following, you're listening, you're learning, you're understanding where their priorities are. You know, you're slowly building that up to be a warm lead, and that makes total sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So court the investors, you all, Yeah. before you ask for money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't do what Arzu just did and put me on the spot and say, hi, I don't know you. Would give me money? And I had to say no. <laughs> Get to know the person you're going to ask for money first. <laughs> all right. So the third bad mistake um, that the entrepreneurs can totally avoid is is giving a bad pitch. Oh, yes. Yeah. You and I've talked about this before. And this must be the most painful part. It for is most so painful. Founders. Yeah, it, 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 it's hard. It's hard to know how to do a good pitch. Unless you practice and have your expertise, do some research, Correct. figure out. Correct. Know, prepare. So in, in my startup academy, Fundraising Academy. At some point, it'll become Startup Academy. Yes. But now, right now, it's all about fundraising. Yes. Um, I talked, there's another module, one whole module that's focused on creating a winning pitch. And you need to have 12 slides, maybe 15 if you really want to add some more juice, but don't do more than that. And it's very regimented about what you share in each slide. Remember, the, the person that's sitting across from you has at most 45 minutes. So you have to give yourself enough time to present and they will ask a lot of questions and all of this has to be done in 45 minutes. And you have to have control over that whole experience. You have to captivate your audience. You have to tell your story. You have, And we'll talk about the story. You have to show your numbers in 30 to 45 minutes. And okay, 15 slides feels like a lot when you say it like that. If you need to share your story, um, explain and show passion for what you do, show your experience and knowledge on how to carry through with that and build all the numbers in, that's a lot in a short period of time. It is. So why do you need slides at all? Why couldn't I just do the presentation um, verbally and explain my story and my vision and then maybe have like a small report that I could share? Why does it have to be a series of like slides? Why is that the common way to do it? You know, I've never been asked that question. <laughs> well, you know, I'm an out-of-the-box thinker. Because, Definitely. Because I think if I really wanted to show you my passion, my skills, and my knowledge, I need to speak to you. And mm -hmm. if I'm speaking to you from slides, I'm probably going to be less me and more what I've written on the slide. Mm -hmm. At least that's just me. You know, I've never seen that done mm. any other way but slides. Um but as I'm thinking about what you're saying, could it happen very, very successfully? I am sure it could. 
I'm sure a pitch deck is the thing. I mean, this the, this is the, the pitch deck is the thing. It's the industry standard, and of course, leave it to me to say that if I'm ever going to do a pitch, I'm definitely going to do it different. I might have a video. Sure. You know, I might have a a piece of paper with all the numbers, one shot. Here's what you need to know. Take this with you. Give some information. But I would probably want to do more connecting one to one with the person that I'm meeting with. Yeah, I mean, um, and especially if you have that relationship yeah. in the past, you know, that you have built over the two three months. Yeah. Um, you, you could. Um, I would love to see it, honestly. Okay, I will, I'm, I'm I'll let like, you know. I mean, maybe I'll have to practice that with you and you can tell me. Maybe that should be because I do a vision myself. That would be my style. So I would love to do that for you sometime. And I you would can, love that. And we'll add that into one of your modules as this is something never to do. <laughs> or maybe here's something out of the box to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to see that. Yeah. Okay, I'd we'll love to that. work with you on that. Okay. That's so really back to cool. the pitch deck. Okay. But, but standard is 12 to 15. But it 12. does seem like a lot of slides to me in a it short is. period of time. It is. It is. So you have to be very well versed. And this is what I'm saying is you have to have control over those content. It has to has come out authentically, but you have to be able to say it in a million different ways fluently. You have to know your numbers and your business inside and out. You, you do. Yeah. And then let's talk about the numbers, right? Because think about it, a startup that just like generated I mean, I, I, there is a there is a startup in Colorado. Um, I'm going to put a plug in them, plug in yep. here for them Go because right they're awesome. It's called Booby Butter. Oh my gosh, I I Amelia? work with Stephanie. Well, Stephanie, who's helping her, I'm. Oh my gosh, <laughs> let's just say that Booby Butter is going to be in Grace and Glory box as soon as the serum is done. It's going to be in it. one of our first three months' box. Yep. Anyway, small world just happened right there. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, yeah isn't that interesting? Anyways, so they they generated I don't know modest amount of revenue last year. Maybe. But wait, maybe we better tell people what Booby Butter is because we oh. just left that hanging out there. <laughs> Go ahead. Explain to people what booby butter is. Booby butter is a way for women to screen for breast cancer well before the mm. mammography time. Right. In your 20s, in your 30s, by just putting this booby butter on your breast and feeling your breasts. Yeah. And, and the booby butter will feel great. And it's good for the looks, if you all know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but it's good also, for it's good for scar tissue. It's good. It's good for yeah. scar tissue, and it really takes away the whole stigma about breasts, mm -hmm. right? Breasts, they're they're body parts, just like hands and fingers. And yeah. So it's a it's a great concept. It's a great company, and I have met with their CEO a couple of times. Uh, one one time at length, and and have a lot of respect for her. So cannot wait until you tell her that you've been on this podcast and that. We discussed her because it's just so funny that that came all the way around. Yeah, isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. Booby. So so they they generated modest amount of revenue last year. Yeah. Right. They are very early stage, but I have no doubt that they'll be very big. Um, but so let's say they go in front of an investor and they put a pitch deck together, right? And they have to project their next year revenue and the next five years revenue, right? But they just generate. They they have barely twelve months of experience very modest revenue, how do you project three years in advance, five years in advance? Well, here's the thing is you do your best based on solid assumptions. Mm. Your numbers are gonna be wrong. Whatever you put on that slide is gonna be wrong. You know it, the investors know it. There's no way for you to know for sure. No. That's why, you're, be you're picking arbitrary information based upon data. Correct, bingo. As long as you can explain your logic, 
where this came from. As long as there's a method to that madness, that's what the investor wants to see. Not so much, you know, whether you're absolutely correct or within 5% or within 10%. It's how did you arrive at that? Because that, first of all, they might believe your logic. They might support that. So, yeah, I could see how we could get there. Okay, let's go. But more importantly, they're actually assessing the founder. They're assessing Mm -hmm. the thought process of the founder, which is hugely important to the investors. Right. And then the last mistake that... No, it's not the last mistake, but it's second to last last mistake is no story. So, you know, the the story, that's the whole, how did you arrive at this this concept? Why do you want to solve this problem? What does this mean to you? That humanizes the whole thing for for the investor. Make sure that you have a personal story. Make sure you tell people, why you you want to solve this problem and why this means so much to you and is that is that because that helps drive your passion home as to why you're going to keep going because i'm sure a question from an investor might be how do i know they're going to stay the course exactly how do i know that two years from now they're going to still be grinding and care so much about what they're doing as they do today because it can't just be about money it can't just be that you hope to reach that end goal because nobody's going to go through the type of hell and back that entrepreneurs go through that's not going to be enough of a driving force Correct. in most cases. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Is that they want to see how how do I know that you're committed? Right. Right. So that's that story has to be something that pulls on their heartstring and really is a great opportunity for you to connect with the investor at an emotional level, at a right. really authentic level. And then the the last or the first mistake that I tell people is to to, to avoid is to Um, not have an investor funnel because this is a sales job. So just like you have a sales funnel, you have leads, you have Mm -hmm. prospects, you push those leads and prospects into your funnel, into conversion, you close the deal with your prospect. It's the same. Keep going. It's the same. You are selling your vision, you are selling yourself as a founder, you're selling your founding team. The investor is your customer. So how would you push through that sales funnel? And and you have to have that rigor and that discipline to make sure that you're efficient with your time and with your effort. Um, otherwise, it's gonna get out of hand, it's gonna get out of control, it's going to be very ineffective and inefficient. Right. And let's talk a little bit about how much time people should plan to invest because we haven't touched yet on what uh, founders should expect if you're going into a fundraising stage. Mm-hmm. Because it's not its not just something that you're going to do a couple of hours a week. I mean, going oh, into no. a fundraising stage of your business is very serious. Oh. It's time consuming. You should expect it to take, I don't know, you tell me how long. How long should people expect to invest into that process? So for us. For a typical seed, it takes nine months yeah. to to raise a, to to close a round. Um, sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's less than that. Um, and also, it depends on the amount. Um, but it it usually hovers around nine months. So in that nine months, you better have a really really good second-in-command team to run the business for you. Yes, you as a founder still have to be very involved, but 
when you're fundraising, you are dedicated to fundraising. Have you read the book uh, Million Dollar Woman? No. I'm going to send you a copy. Um, Thank you. I just recently read it, and it's this woman who developed a company called Little Prim, I think it was, and it was uh, translated programming for kids um, to learn other languages. Oh, cool. And what I really, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I, what I really like that she talks about is she had to become a full-time fundraiser when she was fundraising yeah. in that period of time, which meant she had to adjust her family to understand it, um, a lot of evening events and dinners and networking, and she had to put together her internal tech team to manage things day to day. But she learned that by trying to do it all. Mm -hmm. And when she realized you cannot do it all, you have to focus. This is a very serious, important time in her business. And she had somebody come into her circle, of course, which often happens, who said, okay, if you really want to do it the right way, she had someone like you came into her life and said, if you really want to do it the right way, this is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. So she had to cut out a whole bunch of things and focus, I think it was a year or 18 months specifically on fundraising to set herself up for the long term. And I was surprised. I didn't know that that was the type of process to expect. Yes. Yes. If you, When you're in fundraising, you are fundraising. You're, you're not running your business. Your second-in-command team is running the business. You're still involved. You're still in the know because if you're not, then, then you can't really explain what's happening to the investors very well. Yeah. But I know people, actually, one of the startups that we invested in, awesome startup, love it, um, the guy actually moved coast to coast. He moved from Florida to uh, San Francisco, lived in San Francisco for three months because he knew that he needed to have access to Silicon Valley and be fundraising 100%. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's such a variety of, of spectrums, right? Different sides of the spectrums of where people are in fundraising. And right now, you know, what we're specifically talking about is the large, you know, um, give us a range of what that type of fundraising might result in. Are we looking at like a million dollars to do that or is that more the like five to 15 to 20 million dollar rounds? No, I mean a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, if you're raising $500,000, <laughs> you're full time raising $500,000. Yeah. You know, for $100,000, usually you don't go venture capital, you go angel for $100,000 to 250. But beyond 250, definitely beyond 500, you got to look at um, venture capital. And interesting. This is so interesting. So yeah. this is what you're doing. This is the new project that you have. Yeah. You're rolling this out in yes. an online training format. Yes, yes, Which yes. is exciting. It's really exciting and it's awesome. It's, like I said, 10 modules. There are tools and resources there. I will have quizzes in this uh, this curriculum. I will have templates, uh, references in terms of which websites to go and get information, what books to read, um, things to do, things not to do. Yeah, it's, it's pretty excellent. cool. Arzu, this is amazing. And I know we talked, we went pretty in depth in this podcast about fundraising. And I think it's important because like me, I know a lot of the listeners might not know where they fit within that process or how to get there. And you are offering this for people to learn as they grow. Um, and I know that you are offering something really special yes. to all of our Grit and Grace listeners. Yes, yes. And this is because I love you so much, Tom. Well, I love you I too. Think you're, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> 
Uh, so for all the grit and grace listeners, and this is something I don't offer, um, I never offer something that doesn't expire because that's just not good marketing, yes. right? You, you yeah. gotta have. But for your audience, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna offer a twenty percent discount on anything that I sell on my uh, on my website um, with the promo code grit and grace, all one word, all in caps. Um, twenty percent off. It will never expire. And um, it's just for, for you, Taverly, and your audience. Well, that's awesome. Arzu, thank you. But one, one other thing that I do want to say is that I'm sure a lot of your audience have founders who are their neighbors and mm. nieces and nephews and sons and daughters. Really consider this as a gift for them because it can give them a leg up. I just love that you offered that. I mean, there are so many of us like me who are in the arenas, right? We are in the arenas. You know, I'm building my company and, you know, I'm building different divisions and sections. And I know that I I have plans to scale. So I'm going to have to get deeper into that at some point. But there are so many of us in the arena that the people around us don't know what to do to help. Mm -hmm. There's so many people that don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. But you're basically giving this as an option for people to buy for the entrepreneur in their life. That's correct. Love it. That's correct. Love it. Yes. Okay, so what's your website? Where do they go? It's startupfundraising.academy. Okay, awesome. And they can use um, Grit and Grace, all caps, all one word, for 20% off every, any offer. And, oh, my gosh, that's amazing because that's going to be up there forever. That's up there forever just for your audience. Well, that's wonderful. Yes. And listen, if any of our listeners have questions that um, about the training that you offer or even specific parts, I know that I have some individuals who've asked me if I have any referrals for people to just review their pitch deck with them. Mm-hmm. Is that the type of consulting work that you could do? Yes. Okay, I so I have several different offerings. One is I'll just review your pitch deck, give you a written feedback report, and I will meet with you on Zoom for 30 minutes. So that's there. That's one offering. The other one is um, the curriculum. Okay, yeah. The last one is the VIP that you could do the curriculum, and I will review the pitch deck um, and give you a written feedback report. So those are just to start with. There will be a lot more stuff that I'm going to put yeah, in there. Yeah, you'll be building out more. Yes. Yeah. Especially as you see what people need. You know, people might want specific little areas. And listen, guys, if you are whatever stage you're at in your business, if you have any plans to grow and scale, I highly suggest you take Arzu up on her offer and just spend some time and talk with her on where you're at and where you can go. Because not only is she extremely knowledgeable and helpful in this area, but she has really good values as a person and she Mm. is just kind and she will give you the truth the authentic truth of what you need to hear because she ultimately wants you to be successful which is why i i really always appreciate working with you oh absolutely it was my pleasure thank you so much thanks all right so give us a few social media handles and how people can reach you directly outside of your website okay so email they can send me an email arezou a-r-e-z-o-u at startupfundraising.academy. Okay. My Twitter handle is at Arizuzarafshan, all one word. I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> we, won't, we won't spell that. That'll just go right in the show notes for everyone. And are you on Instagram and Facebook as well? Um, I am on Facebook. My Facebook is really private. I know you and I are connected, yes. but you know. So no. So you guys just we'll we'll send you to to Twitter. We will um, list her email address and, then and her LinkedIn. website and and LinkedIn. LinkedIn is slash in slash Arizu. 
Awesome. I will get that um, put in the show notes. And wherever you guys are listening, if you have found us on iTunes, please make sure to leave us a review and a rating because we are new up on iTunes. We're very excited. And if you're on the ladieschitchatclub.com, there's also an email tab there and a comment section where you can reach me or Arzu at any time. And before we go, Arzu, you know, I have one last question for you. I know you do. The most important question of the day. What percentage of grit and grace are you? Today, I am 96% grit, 4% grace. (laughs) Listen, I think I'm with you there. Um, There's days where we need to be a little bit more gritty, and this happens to be one of those days for both of us. And I think it reflects in the podcast, because we really dived into some of these, don't do this, do this the right way. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you joining me. And for everyone listening, go be fierce.